It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah, it's probably the first time that that song has ever been played on this station. I am certain station. of it. And since the Greenhouse is partially about bugs, yes, I'm okay with it. It is. <laughs> and I mean, for Gen Xers who are connoisseurs of mid-80s rap, probably one of the, the most underrated albums, Tougher Than Leather, that exists. So, And good morning. Yes, you are listening to the KSL Greenhouse. I know you feel like you fell back into the past, into some rock station. Yeah, well, we no. have a former DJ <laughs> from the era who's running our board. Who was singing and, to me earlier. Yes. yes. Thank you, Eric. Uh-huh. So thanks for joining us, Maria and Ton and Eric and Michelle with you this morning. Number for you to call, 801-575-8255. You can text us at 57500. Sylvia's been waiting patiently on the line in Sandy. Good morning, Sylvia. What was your question? <clears throat> Good morning. I have been trying to grow peppers, green, yellow, red, for the past three years. And every year without fail, um, the peppers grow, but they have these big brown soft spots on them. Every single pepper, I don't ever get a good pepper. And I'm wondering what I am doing wrong. Well, I would like to blame it on demons or something. And you could also be doing everything right and still get those spots. And what they're from is either blossom end rot, if it's on the bottom, that is the plants experience a calcium deficiency due to sporadic weather and sporadic irrigation and rainstorms and things when they're pollinated. And if the brown spots are on the sides or the sides and bottoms, that's usually sun scald. And so what I've recommended to people to overcome that is they can plant the spacing on the peppers you know, gets them lots of sun, but sometimes that's not what we want. And in Utah, I've recommended planting peppers maybe every six to nine inches so they grow into each other and provide their own shade or installing shade cloth, like a 30% shade cloth over the tops of the tomatoes and peppers and things because we have so much excessive sunlight here that shade actually doesn't harm them if you're just using like a 30% shade. Okay. Yeah, they don't have, they have full southern sun. They're they're in the same grow box as my rhubarb, and the rhubarb does amazing, as do my blackberries. And, I mean, everything grows great. I have a lot of cucumbers, a lot of tomatoes. There, I have four grow boxes right next to each other, and they get south and west uh, sun exposure. So they are in full sun. So you're thinking I should shade them. Yeah, shade them is one thing you can do. Um, If you can't, then at least plant them 
closer together so they're on nine inch centers so they grow into each other and especially the fruit on the insides of the plant is provided natural shade from the plants themselves okay all right maybe i'll try again next year i was about to give up on peppers yeah don't give up (laughs) on them but i if you can afford it just get on amazon or go to like steve regan ifa local garden center and pick up some 30 percent shade cloth you may need to order it online this time of year but you can build a little structure using PVC or bamboo or whatever to sh- cover some of those more sensitive plants. I've heard of people even getting their uh, picnic umbrella and p- taking out to the garden and just putting it, you know, you'd put it at a picnic table and then just kind of putting it to where it's providing afternoon shade to their peppers and tomatoes. That can work, too. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Love the show. Thank you, Sylvia, for your call this morning. Uh, Nexus Sertan says that they used some older, uh, from last year, the Bear Advanced Fruit Insect Control on their Concord grapes uh, for those crazy leafhoppers. Now, the leafhoppers are still there. They're supposed to wait 30 days to harvest. Uh, Since it didn't make a dent in the critters, do you think that they can pick and juice the grapes? Well, if... They're waiting that third. They have to wait that thirty days, no matter. But if they want to harvest the grapes after the thirty days, then they can. Okay, and they'll be fine too. Yeah, they'll be fine. Okay, and I you, they may need to use something a little more potent. Um, they have to also spray the undersides of the leaves where they're hiding. And if you just spray the tops of the leaves, it doesn't do any good. So, okay. Next listener says, why do some of their raspberries get white spots? They're in the sun most of the day, and they have clay soil. The white spots could be sun scald. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really common on certain varieties, and we've been talking about the shade cloth. Sometimes it takes that to prevent it. It also could be, if they're hard um, beetles that like sugar, will come and suck the sugar, the sap, or the juice out of individual cells on the raspberry. That's common too. Okay. Next listener says they have gray dust on their red grapes and they're not developing to maturity. What can they do to treat that? They need to look up downy mildew and powdery mildew mm-hmm. and see if it's either, and they may need to spray for it if it's widespread, but downy mildew and powdery mildew. Mike is on the line in Orem. Good morning, Mike. What was your question? Good morning. Um, last year, I got leaf hoppers. Um, if that's those little white uh, flies looking things on my Virginia creeper, and I had it sprayed three times. Then I watched it all summer, and it's been clear, beautiful green leaves. Then all of a sudden, this week, I have a million of those leaf hoppers. Do I need to spray again this year, or will they die? I mean, leaves are about ready to fall. On Virginia creeper next little while, I if imagine. the population isn't that great, you know, you can find them, but the numbers aren't as high. You could probably wait. They will come back, but you could try um, once the leaves drop off of your Virginia creeper, which Virginia creeper is actually very closely related to grapes. It's in the same family. Uh, you could try in late winter, early spring, using a dormant oil. You don't want the leaves out yet because you'll scorch the leaves to see if that will help. 
and then through the summer monitor and you could then respray. You do need to spray the undersides of the leaves. Okay. The well, last time I had them professionally sprayed, so they had a big, powerful sprayer. I hope seemed to do the trick. Yeah, if it was almost like a pressure stuff. washer, it probably did. But the spray may have worn off, and they traveled back in. Well, yeah, that was last winter. So okay. all, I mean, last last summer. So they okay. all fell off. But okay. Where do they come from? All of a sudden, they're they were endemic. Uh, you know, they were probably brought in you know, through just imported grapes because we have one grape species native to extreme southern Utah. But um, as we brought in Virginia creeper, Boston ivy, various species of grapes, they were just on the vines that were brought in. Okay. But you think these will overwinter? I should maybe do one spray well, I, you know, if you had fruit trees or something and were already doing a dormant oil spray, it may be worth doing. But if they're there now, they probably will come back next year. Okay. So would you spend the money to spray them? <laughs> well, it year? might reduce the population of them next year it may prevent them from coming back as much next year you definitely could spray but you could also be justified in waiting okay thanks for your information all right mike thanks so much for calling one of our listeners is sending you both to the corner Uh-oh. eric and ton with your dunce caps and they say don't ever play that song again just saying okay, okay. <laughs> well and it could be somebody that i yeah. I think that you don't want you to play it again. Yes. Just so you know. Oh, it was your wife. Okay. All right. So next listener says, how and when do I fertilize fruit trees? And Okay. Start with that one. How and when How and when do they fertilize fruit trees, Tom? You do not fertilize fruit trees in the fall. Uh, you never fruit fertilize them in the fall. Mid-March, you can fertilize. And then if you need to again, sometime in mid-May, and then you stop. And then they want to know what's the best way to get the weeds and grass out from under their fruit trees. Hand pull it. Uh, If they want to wrap up the trunk with some cardboard, they can spray like some Roundup or something, just not overdoing it. That would be the other way. But those are going to be the methods. But if they're using an herbicide, never use a weed and feed or a lawn weed killer. It's always something like Roundup. Or there's another one on the market called glufosinate maybe they could use. All right. Marlene wants us to know that she's had great success with uh, using the Rescue Disposable Yellow Jacket Trap. She says you just add water to the bag. The hornets come. It's so effective. You can all you can set it up in the evening. Uh, so she just wanted Good. to let us know that that works really well Good. for her. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Mike, you're up next on the line. Number to call, 801-575-8255. You can text us at 57500. Good morning. Thanks for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Maria and Ton with you taking your calls, 801-575-8255. You can also text us at 57500. Ton, our next listener says their Shasta daisies are taking over. When's the best time to divide them, the fall or the spring? The Shasta daisies are midsummer bloomers, so I would divide them in the fall. 
Okay. They could divide them in the spring, like say mid-March, and they would be okay. But divide them now to get them the maximum amount of time they can to root out before they bloom again. Okay. Next listener says, how do you keep grass from dying underneath pine trees? Is there something that they can apply to the grass to neutralize the issue? It's not a it's not a it's not a soil or issue. A soil no. issue. It's a sun issue, isn't it? It's a sun issue, and they need to keep the needles cleaned up. But pine trees and spruce trees produce very dense shade. And you either need to limb them up seven or eight or nine feet, ten feet to get enough sunlight under them, or just put bark mulch or let the needles settle and be a natural mulch. Don't plant ivy. No. I've done that. Learn from my mistakes. Don't do that. Mike is on the line in Provo. Good morning, Mike. What was your question? We have a golden rain tree in our front yard that we planted about 45 years ago, and it's never really flourished. Um, we've used fertilizer spikes the last few years, but we've noticed this year the leaves have kind of wilted and we're not getting the seed pods that we normally get. The bark is loose around the base of the tree and on some of the limbs, and we're wondering if maybe it's time for a new tree. It may be, and it kind of surprises me because those golden rain trees are usually very durable. Is it getting, is it in a really wet location? Uh, it's in our lawn, and it gets watered with a sprinkler system. Okay. And I, I really, I can't determine much from that. Uh, but, Ben, that's kind of funny that it would do that. But if the the bark's loose, the limbs are kind of declining, there's not as many leaves, not as many flowers, I would consider maybe cutting the tree down and getting a new tree. But I would also look at the water situation because those golden rain trees are very hard to kill. Uh-huh. And it could just be a fluke thing that it got some root diseases or something in it. But just make sure that the area for some reason isn't especially wet. Okay. All right. Appreciate that. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Mike, for your call this morning. Next listener, Ton, says, what do you do about stink bugs on your tomatoes? I've never had that problem. They can be there, and they're common if you live in rural areas where you have kind of that suburban rural interface. Mm -hmm. Stink bugs can come in as native plants are drying down and turning turning brown Mm -hmm. and feed on your garden. If your garden is surrounded by a lot of weeds, and so say like a fallow field, or even if you're next to an alfalfa field and there's a lot of weeds on the ditch bank, that can lead them in. But one of the primary ways to keep them out is to make sure that the weeds are cleaned up around the yard and the property so that they don't have a tendency to come in. Otherwise, it's really hard to spray for them because they're only contacting a little part of the fruit. And so those are that's going to be the main defense. Uh, next listener says their cantaloupe plants have been amazing. They've produced well, but all of a sudden they're getting some dieback where they turn yellow at first and the leaves near the stem or the root of the plant, and they just kind of dying back. Is it, what's going on there? There could be some bacterial canker right at the base, mm. some crown canker or crown rot that they could look for. Um, there are a few pests that will go after the cantaloupe, but it sounds like they're either being fed on or they've contracted a disease. And any 
affected plants I would take out and just get rid of so that it doesn't spread. It is getting later in the season. We still have another good month that we could get cantaloupe, but that's what I would consider doing. Uh, Next sister wants to know, is it good to mix grass seed types? Yes, in general. Why? It depends on which seed you're talking about. But if it's just like a turf-type tall fescue and bluegrass and perennial rye, absolutely. Because you get an increased diversity to where the ryegrass is quite wear-tolerant and the fescue is fairly wear-tolerant and tolerates clay soils. The bluegrass self-repairs. And so and you have... It doesn't have, look weird? No. It, it Over time, the disadvantage to doing that is that you can get areas where the fescue is dominant and areas where the rye is dominant. And if you look closely, you can kind of see a patchwork of grasses. And that will happen over 15, 20 years. But if it's just like 80% bluegrass and 20% fescue or 20% rye or 80% fescue and 20% rye, it's fine. Any of those are fine. It just depends on what you can tolerate. And for me personally, if I have a little separation in my lawn, fine. But some people don't like it. Okay. Uh, Next listener wants to know, what is a good shade-loving ground cover? Shade Living Ground Cover, Vinca Minor, is one that does really well. There's also a Juga that will tolerate shade. You, they could maybe try Yellow Creeping Jenny. Sometimes it's called Aria Creeping Jenny. The, um, they'll climb, but Creeping Euonymus tolerates shade. The Ivies tolerate shade, but you're going to have to keep an eye on all of those because they do climb. There's actually quite a few of them that would work fairly well. Okay, next sister wants to know, can they use quinclorac around vegetable plants and fruit trees? They've been run over with bindweed, and they're asking, will the vegetable and fruit absorb the quinclorac? Because the labels on quinclorac are so varied, they need to refer to the labels of particular products. But in a garden area, you may have a couple of month wait, at least, before you could replant. And so they're going to need to make some decisions on is it worth controlling the bindweed, but find the products with quinclorac, whether it's the image product or Q4 plus or whatever it is. And they will say, do not apply around vegetables or trees. And if you do, you have this long of a wait, but I'm really cautious about it. I, I would say I wouldn't unless they're willing to wait a few months to maybe even a year. Gets scary with chemicals, doesn't it? It is. And it, it does get scary. Okay, we're about to take a break for the top of the hour news. When we come back, the feature for the top of our 10 o'clock hour is building raised beds. And we have a special guest coming in to be with us. Yes, J.D. Gunnell will be calling. And he's been doing a lot of work around his house with raised beds, but he also manages two quite nice community gardens where they use them. So I thought we could talk to him about materials and it's just a great time to do it. It's warm, but the gardening season's winding up and why not do it now? Yeah, it's a great time to do it. And our feature at the top of the nine o'clock hour was wasps, wasps. I can't say that for some reason today, wasps in the garden. And the plan of the week today has been garden mums. And if you've missed parts of the show, you can actually catch it on podcast, kslpodcast.com. Uh, just look for the KSL Greenhouse Show. We'll be right back. Number for you to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. You can always text us at 575 
I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.